Well, I want to welcome you to Village Church. My name is Michael Fueling. I'm the lead pastor here, and this is week four of our series on heaven and hell. To start us off, I'd like to read a couple of scriptures. Romans chapter six, verse five. Paul says, if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Philippians chapter three, verse 20, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. 1 Corinthians 2, 9, the apostle Paul has had a vision of heaven and here's his reflection on heaven, trying to think about how to put this into words for everyone else. No eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. So this morning, we are going to be detectives and we're going to look at some evidence. We're going to answer two big questions and all of our morning is going to be focused on resurrection bodies. What will your body and my body be like on the new earth. I'm gonna try really hard to not get into resurrection living or the kinds of things we're gonna do on the new earth. All of that is next week. Today is gonna to be primarily, almost exclusively focused on what your resurrection body is going to be like. Here's the first question. What do we know from scripture? So we're gonna root our minds in God's word. And then as we do that, we're gonna use some holy imagination because I don't know about y'all, but I have a lot of questions on the nature of our resurrection body. Um, then what we're gonna do is we're gonna answer the question, what might be possible? In light of what we know that we know from scripture, what are some of the possibilities? And we are going to surmise and dream and we will have a blast. At least I will because I'm very excited about it. So here's the flow of the morning. We're going to look at Jesus's resurrected body first. We're going to see what we can learn from that. Then we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 15, which is the chapter in the New Testament on resurrection and resurrection bodies. So in scripture, there are two different places where we see different pictures of Jesus's resurrected body. And the first one is going to be his resurrected body before the ascension. Now, very briefly, in case you don't know what the ascension is, you might be new to the church or to the Bible. Jesus dies on the cross. How many days later does he rise again? The number is one, two, three. And then for 40 days, he walks resurrected amongst people all over Jerusalem and the area. After 40 days, he ascends or he goes up into heaven. And so the first image that we're going to look at of Jesus's resurrected body is going to be his resurrected body before his ascension, after his resurrection in these 40 days. Now, here's the question that I want to answer. What can we know from scripture about Jesus's resurrected body. Uh, here's one. We will eat. Anybody else excited about that? I'm like, I like food. Like, pretty pumped. You're like, we know. Luke 24, 42 and 43. Check that out. Will we sleep? Anybody love a good nap? Like, I love a good nap. Some of you are like, I refuse to take naps. You're awesome. I love a good nap. Sundays, at least one to two hours every Sunday after I preach. Like, it's a delight. 
Now, what does the scriptures have to say about this? It says that there will be no night, there will be no darkness. The glory of God will emanate from God and it will cover every part of the globe so that there are no shadows anywhere. It seems that our bodies won't have need for sleep, but maybe because our God loves to delight us and the new earth will be filled with unimaginable delights. Maybe, just maybe, he'll be like, take a nap just for kicks. It'll be fun. I don't know. Will we have a physical body? Everybody, the answer is yes, 100%. Jesus' body was physical. Will we still have scars? So do you remember after his resurrection, before his ascension, uh, Thomas, he went up to Thomas and he said, look, put, put, put your hand on my side. Look at, you can touch it, you can see it. And now here's the question. Will the scars of this world stay with us for eternity as symbols of God's faithfulness and stories of God's faithfulness in this world. I, I don't know. I mean, if anybody was going to keep their scars, it would be possibly Jesus in the most climactic event in all of human history. So maybe he's an exception, but at least we'll hold out the possibility that there is the possibility that maybe the events that happened in our bodies will somehow be remembered through scars with our glorified body. Will we speak the same language Will we speak all languages? Maybe we'll all speak the original language before Babel, before God created the multiplicity of languages. Remember when the entire earth spoke one language? Well, not because you were there, because you read it. Maybe that will be the language. What language was that? I don't know. Some have surmised some version of Hebrew. We have no idea. Now, I want to I actually give you a little bit of warning at this point, because about every minute or so in this sermon, it might get a little weirder, okay? Because once we start rooting our brain in God's words, uh, then we start to imagine what's possible. Here's one. Will we walk through solid objects or teleport? In John 20, 26, the disciples are in a room. It's locked. And guess who shows up all of a sudden? Jesus does. Um, does that tell us something about our physical capacities? Now, let's, let's take this a step further. Will we be constrained by gravity? So what happened in the ascension? Jesus' body literally like went up. Now, is that just because that was a theological event that was really important in the whole like, life of Jesus? Or is that an indication of the capabilities and possibility of your new resurrected bodies. I, I don't know. I don't want to overstate it or understate it, but it's interesting when you look at the capability of Jesus in his resurrected body, you start to go, hmm, will I be able to do that? Or was that exclusive just to him? Now, next week, I'm restraining myself. We're going to talk about interdimensionality and figure out like, what might that mean for the human body and the human experience. But here's what we know for now. What will certainly be the same? Number one, our bodies will have the same members or body parts, just better. Gender and sex will be preserved because that is part of what it means to be made in the image of God. Men and women will be preserved. Hands, legs, heads, torsos, noses, ears, eyes, all aspects of being made in the image of God. And so what you're going to find is that as you understand biology to some degree, that's going to be recognizable because that's what it means to be made in the image of God. Number two, our bodies will have the same identity. Somehow, when you see somebody in the new earth that you knew on this earth, you're going to be like, hey, I know you, Cheryl, how's it going? Huh, didn't realize that's what you could look like. Awesome. And you're going to be like, Michael, you're thinner. Wow, you have more hair. 
didn't have any idea. This is nuts. It's going to be a blast, right, Cheryl? He's like, oh, you're going to get it. Not good. Your identity, it will be able to be recognized. Number three, your memories will be intact, but they will be redeemed. So joyful memories of this earth are going to be remembered and you will give God glory for that. Traumatic events will no longer trigger you or cause anxiety, but will be completely and fully redeemed. Amen? Many of those who rejected Jesus, they will, memory of those who rejected Jesus will exist, but somehow, I don't get this, will not cause sorrow there like it understandably does here. Let's move on to the second picture of the resurrected Jesus. And it's in, Resur- it's in Revelation chapter one, and it's a picture of Jesus's glorified body in heaven. Now, you'll notice that there's actually quite a bit of difference between Jesus's body before the ascension and Jesus's resurrection body in heaven. Um, it seems from scripture that whatever happened when Jesus rose again from the dead, that some of his glory, this side of the ascension, was restrained. And John gets a vision into the fully glorified Jesus. Revelation chapter one, we're gonna look at verse 13 through 17. I want you to listen to this. One like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. That's what John saw. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. His voice was like the roar of many waters. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. In other words, his glory was so unbelievable, he passed out. So when you read this, very rarely, if ever, are you ever thinking this thought. Is that what I'm going to look like? But listen to this passage from Paul in Philippians. And as I read Revelation 1, this is what has been going through my head all week long. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, he says, We await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Now, I understand Revelation 1 is a unique picture of the glorified Jesus Christ and that he is fully God and we are not, amen? The glory of God flows out of him, not out of us. It emanates or reflects off of us in the new earth, but it does not flow out of us. He uniquely is the glory of God and the glory of God flows out of him. So I don't want to miss any of that. But it's interesting that Paul, when he thinks about Jesus's resurrected body, there's a fly, hello, uh, It's clearly a demon got in here and possessed that thing. When he thinks about Jesus's resurrected body, he says, one day he's going to come back and will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. I don't want to take one ounce away from the glory of God. We are not going to be the glory of God. We will emanate it. But fight about this in your community groups. What did did Paul mean here when he said, we're going to be like his glorious body. All right, turn with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 35. So in the Old Testament, 
Eternity is always described in very physical terms because the new earth, the new heavens, it's a very physical place. Daniel 12.2 says that we're going to have new bodies. Isaiah 25.6 says we're going to eat amazing food. Isaiah 65.25 says there's going to be actual real animals in this place. But if you're a student of scripture, here's what you also know. The moment I said 1 Corinthians, you know that the, the Corinthian church was morally and spiritually weak, easily susceptible to culture's lies, and really worldly. To the point where, uh, if you just start reading the book of Corinthians from the following perspective, Paul is profoundly irritated at them. You will see his irritation through every, every part of this. And so Paul is really frustrated with the Corinthian church because he spent 18 months with them, visited them at least three times, wrote them three letters, two of which we have, one of which is lost to history. And he has spent a good amount of time training these people. And the moment he leaves, there's this group of people that come in and they're called super apostles. And they come in and they're like, yeah, I mean, you know, the apostle Paul, he, he didn't really look that good and he kind of talked funny. I mean, would God really send somebody who talks like that to be his representative? I mean, I mean, sure, he probably did some pretty incredible things. And, but really, like, when he talked about the resurrection of the dead, doesn't that seem crazy to you? I mean, do you remember the way he talked and how ugly he was? These are the kind of conversations the super apostles are having. And Paul is thinking to himself, I'm sure, I did miracles in front of you. I healed people in the name of Jesus Christ. Okay, I have, a, I have a speech impediment. Okay, physically, I'm not that attractive. It's because I've been beaten to a pulp so many times for the sake of Jesus Christ. You're right, I don't look normal. So he leaves. Super apostles come in and they're like, well, we don't know. I mean, you talked about the resurrection of the dead, but what was it really? And so he writes in verse 35, someone will ask, how were the dead raised? And I want you to hear just irritation. With what kind of body do they come? Now, this is my question. It's your question. It's not the question that's bothering him. What's bothering him is that this is like the 15th time he has had to tell them. I can imagine he, he wanted to say, do you remember when I told you pieces of the vision that I had when I went up to the third heaven and I got to see all of eternity? You remember when I told you the stories? Do I have to do this again? And the answer is apparently yes. He says in verse 36, you foolish person. Again, it's not the question it is the doubt in the people that is frustrating him. Then he gets into the details. He says, what you sow does not come to life until it dies. You take a seed. You have to put it into the ground, bury it. It has to die before anything can happen. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel. So if you take a dead tree and you put it into the ground, is a living tree going to come out of it? No, in fact, what you have to do is you have to put the seed into the ground, a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain, he says. In verse 38, but God gives it a body as he has chosen into each kind of seed its own body. And Paul here is going to make an analogy. His analogy is that your physical body right now, it's good, it's made in the image of God. But I want you to understand it's a seed. It has to die, but what comes out of it will be far more glorious than the seed itself. So let's talk fun facts about seeds. Number one, did you know that seeds can lie dormant for thousands of years and still be germinated? 
I did not know this. Uh, apparently, uh, 2005, Israeli scientists, they successfully germinated a 2,000-year-old extinct Judean date palm tree. It came from an archaeological dig in King Herod's palace near the Dead Sea. And so they're digging this stuff out. And they're like, oh, it's a seed. And they actually planted it and they grew a tree from that. Isn't that crazy? That's a long time. The smallest seed in the world is not a mustard seed. Did you know that it's an orchid seed? There are over 26,000 different varieties of orchids worldwide. And they're the largest of all the flowering plant families. But the typical orchid seed is no bigger than a speck of dust. Let's go to the other extreme. I think this is hilarious. The largest seed is the coco de mer, and it is a rare species of palm tree. Don't you love the genius of God? You have one seed that is just enormous and another that is a speck of dust, and you would never know what you're going to get out of these things, but you have to put them into the ground, bury it, and then you get to see something amazing and beautiful that emerges from this. Now, I want to I show you one of the largest discrepancies between seed and plant in our known world. Uh, this, is from the, this is the great sequoia named General Sherman. General Sherman is the largest tree in the world, not by height, but by sheer volume. By height, it's 275 feet tall. It's 36 feet in diameter. It's 103 feet in circumference. The first branch doesn't even start until 130 feet, and it dates back to around 2200 to 2700 years old. What gets me is the, is the weight 2,105 tons. Now look at, look at this picture. How can, how can this... That, by the way, take a football field, put it vertical. You're, you're starting to get an image now of how big this is. How can this come from this? If you allow Paul's metaphor to really sink into your brain, you will understand why Paul says, no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has in store for those who love him. Your body is going to die and be put in the ground, and it is but a seed. And from it will, will come something more glorious than your brain can imagine, which is why the picture of Jesus in Revelation 1 as an image of a glorified person doesn't actually blow my mind. When I allow this metaphor to take root in my mind, I believe the, the Apostle Paul is basically saying, whatever you imagine about the glory of a brother and sister in Christ, you need to go a little bit deeper because no eye has seen nor heart or ear heard nor the heart of man imagined what it's really going to be like. Well, with this Analogy in mind, he teaches four realities. And here's the first reality in verse 42. Um, your body will go from perishable to imperishable. Verse 42, he says, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. So seed, plant, this is the analogy. What is sown is perishable or able to die. But what is raised is imperishable. So what I wanna, I wanna do with you is I wanna explore six different categories of human brokenness. And I want us to use our imagination as to what will happen in our new bodies 
when each of these six categories are renewed and restored, not to health that we know today, but to a healthy, resurrected, glorified body. Not the seed, but the tree. Category number one, emotional brokenness. Depression, suicide, anxiety, trauma, raging, gone. Serotonin, dopamine, oxytocin, endorphins, adrenaline, each in your body working properly to bless you. Number two, psychological brokenness. Schizophrenia, narcissism, Tourette's syndrome, OCD, body dysmorphia, gender dysmorphia, gone. DSM-5, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, it has, the latest iteration of it, has 157 different mental health disorders. Each one of them obliterated, gone, forever in your resurrected body. Category number three, spiritual brokenness. Unbelief, doubt, skepticism, a rebellious heart, gone forever. Satan, demons, discouragers, liars, tempters, gone. Category number four, social brokenness. Abortion, gun violence, abuse, poverty, war, racism, sexual immorality, prisons, torture, the media, gone. Amen? Category number five, relational brokenness. Grudges, vengeance, gossip, slander, broken reputations, gone. Category number six, physical brokenness. COVID, gone. Cancer, gone. Blindness, gone. Colorblindness, gone. ALS, gone. Car accidents, gone. Poisoning, malaria, obesity, anorexia, drug addiction, lactose intolerance, <laughs> gone. Kidney stones, gone. Appendicitis, gone. GI issues, many a spouse said, gone. Heart attacks, gone. So on this, on this side of eternity, when your body works the way it's supposed to work, we really easily forget the trauma that people go through when very normal things stop functioning well. Imagine a blind mother on the new earth meeting her child and seeing them for the very first time. Imagine the deaf hearing sound for the very first time. Um, I, wanna, I wanna show you this not so brief video. And it is a video of people receiving cochlear implants for the first time and hearing for the very first time. And I, I'll be honest, I watched about an hour of these videos yesterday and I just cried the whole time. But it just gave me this glimpse to the joy and the restoration, a small little foretaste of what we'll see in heaven. Let's watch this. Hi, Cooper. <laughs> Hi, Cooper. <laughs> Hi, Cooper. 
there are hours of <clears throat> these videos. In fact, Keith in the back, or, uh, he did a video, I think it was some years ago, where he got to be in the room and record somebody hearing for the very first time with these implants. Amazing. Could you imagine every disorder restored in every physical impairment, not just restored, but resurrected to new life, glorified without flaw or error? How many of you are pretty excited about that? <laughs> and the older you get, the more pumped you get for it. Verse 43, number two, our bodies move from dishonor to glory. He says it's sown in dishonor, but it's raised in glory. And dishonor is shame because of sin. Because Jesus will expose and forgive every sin ever committed for every believer through his blood. Here are the things that are going to be gone forever. Accusations, gone Fear of being exposed for that thing you did on earth, gone. Secrets, gone. Every unholy thought, every sinful deed done, every deceptive deed hidden, every right action neglected, all of it is going to be exposed and publicly judged before you are brought to the new earth. And no one, hear me, will have any dirt on anyone ever again. So look at the word glory. What does Paul mean by glory? And glory has two kind of, two kind of meanings here. One is, I think the most obvious, it means um, praise or credit. And so God is worthy of praise and credit, giving glory. You can brag about something or glory in that thing. It's, it's something that is really great that we're excited about that we want to praise. And don't get me wrong, there's going to be a glory to our bodies that when you see it, you're going to want to praise God because it'll be made in his image, resurrected without sin. There is a second meaning to glory that I find a little bit more compelling for this context. And if you understand that glory is the light that emanates from the very presence of God, I have a hunch that when, when Paul is thinking about glory, he is speaking about a luminous nature to humanity in our resurrected bodies. And you might be thinking, okay, Michael, that's, that's crazy. Let me give you a couple illustrations. Uh, Daniel chapter 12, verse 3 says, The righteous will shine like stars. Matthew 13, 43 says, The righteous will shine like the sun. Do you guys remember the transfiguration, that moment where Jesus is changed before Peter, James, and John, and they get to witness this? Here's what happens in Matthew 17. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured or his entire uh, person changed or metamorphosized right in front of them. And his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. Do you remember in um, Exodus when Moses was near the glory of God, he would go into the, and meet with God for a season or a time and he would come out and what would his face be like? It would be glowing and reflecting the glory of God and people were like, cover that thing up because we can't handle even the reflection of the glory of God. 
I am very inclined, I'm going to give some implicational theology here, not explicit. I am very inclined to say that what you will experience in your resurrected body will not be a glory that emanates from you, but will be the refraction and reflection of the glory of God that will cover every nook and cranny of the entire new earth. So when he says, you will be sown in dishonor, but raised in glory. I think this is more than just, it's gonna be a cool body, you're gonna give God glory. I think this is actually the reflection of the glory of God that will be throughout the entire world. Number three, he says in verse 43, that we'll go from weakness to power. It's sown in weakness, but it's raised in power. And weakness is our proneness to fall into temptation. So Jesus says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Anybody else feel like you have pretty weak flesh? To give all these good intentions and then you're like, why did I do or think or say that dumb thing? Whatever that sin that makes you weak and tempts you, you will have complete self-control over it. And you will emotionally and mentally see it and feel it for what it is. Ugly and grotesque you will no more want that sin than you will want to play in manure. Number four, he says it goes from natural to spiritual. Verse 44 says it is sown or put into the ground a natural body, but it's raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. And by natural, he doesn't mean that we're somehow just going to be spirit later. Natural means it's limited to the earthly sphere. And we've already seen in almost every one of these sermons is that at the fall of Adam and Eve, what God did is he made a separation between the physical and the spiritual. And he separated the angelic realm and the demonic realm from humanity so that access was limited. He removed his presence up into heaven so his glory did not obliterate and crush us. I think one of the questions we probably should be asking is what did Adam and Eve look like in the garden before the fall? We know that the fall affected them on an atomic level. And what we most often do is we just read our current state into that, but we actually don't know what they looked like. So one day, we're going to have this opportunity on the new earth to actually talk with angels and to actually walk with God. And the physical and the spiritual are brought back together the way it was always intended to be. So let's summarize. Our current bodies are perishable, sinful, weak and natural and our resurrected bodies, we will be imperishable, glorious, powerful, and spiritual. One of the most frustrating things about this message is that no matter what I do or say, it is pretty impossible for any of us to even get close to the reality of what it might be. So try we will, right? So what if, what if your brain had no limitations, what, what if sin had never corrupted our minds, our processes, or our bodies? What if you were smarter in heaven than the smartest person on earth? What if you could retain information with a photographic memory? What if you could deduct reality from information better than Sherlock Holmes? So to, it, to, to illustrate this, um, I, I want to talk about what's called savant syndrome. And savant syndrome, it's rare, and I cannot even tell you how many. Again, I, I go on rabbit trails, and for about the last two years, I've been very, very struck by savant syndrome. I would love to meet somebody in this who has this, but it's a rare, extraordinary con condition in which somebody who has serious mental disabilities has an island of genius. 
What you need to know about savant syndrome is that they almost always have very, very low IQ. And so the typical savant abilities or skills are memory, art, music, mechanical or spatial skills, calendar calculation, mathematical calculation, sensory sensitivity, athletic performance. Um, if you saw the movie Rain Man with Dustin Hoffman, um, this was an autistic savant. And what, it, it was actually sort of based on a story of a real man who is right now about 69 years old. And this man memorized over 6,000 books, had an encyclopedic knowledge of geography, music, literature, history, sports, and nine other areas of expertise. Uh, he can name all of the U.S. area codes and major city zip codes. He has also memorized the maps in front of telephone books, can tell you precisely how to get from one U.S. city to another, and then how to get around in that city street by street. He also has a calendar calculating abilities and more, and recently, rather advanced musical talent that has surfaced. Of unique interest is his ability to read extremely rapidly, simultaneously, just process this, simultaneously scanning one page with the left eye and the other page with the right eye. What? <laughs> So they have done multiple MRIs on his brain. Here's what they found. Number one, the absence of the corpus callosum, which here's what that means. A large bundle of more than 200 million nerve fibers that connect the two brain hemispheres. Doesn't have it. Number two, other substantial central nervous system damage. Minimally, Savant syndrome is an insight it's a peek into what the brain is capable of, certain parts of it, when it is unhindered and unaffected by anything else. When it's at almost what seems to be its full capacity in this side of heaven. Here's the second example. Patrick's passion for numbers started at the age of two. If you asked him at two years old to provide the day of the week on which any date fell between 1900 and 2010, he could give the answer accurately within a few seconds. He could also accurately calculate five and six digit addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division equations mentally within a few seconds, often faster than his teacher using an electronic calculator. What if... What if each part of your brain functioned at full capacity and in full co collaboration with the rest of your brain? So let's not stop there. Let's go a little bit deeper. Let's talk about our senses. Sight. You know that obviously there's more to the world than what you can see right now, correct? Will you be able to experience the full scope of all of the different light, the electromagnetic field. I would like to know what ELF is. I thought TV show when I first saw that on the left. Where does the glory of God fit? Is it outside of these or is it the combination of all of these? What will your resurrected glorified eyes be able to do and see? What about sound? Will you hear the full range of sound? Can you hear dolphins or elephants? There's an app, it's hilarious. It's an app that only kids can hear because it has frequencies that apparently as you get older, our frequency range that we can hear gets smaller and smaller. So my kids played this for me once. Like, dad, do you hear it? I'm like, I don't hear a thing. And they're like, we can hear it all. Like how genius to be in school and to be able to have an app that communicates that adults can't hear, but only kids, only kids can. 
Let's talk about smell. There are 10 million odor receptors in your nose. There are hundreds of different kinds of odor receptors, each with the ability to sense certain odor molecules. Imagine a world where there is no scent your nose is unable to detect and process. Imagine a world where God has actually more smells than this world has. Why? Because he just likes to delight and to surprise us. Touch. Imagine a world where all nerves function optimally through a renewed brain, where all touch is processed fully and where no harm is able to be done. Let's talk about emotions. Most adults actually see this as the scope of the emotions and the feelings wheel. That's what they actually call it. But this is what we teach kids. Now here's the adult version of the feelings wheel. Imagine a world where all emotions are felt appropriately, where every impulse is under control. And as we express emotions, we do it thoughtfully and appropriately, where greater highs are not sought because it is impossible to have greater contentedness. Let's just summarize it this way. No eye is seen, nor ear heard, or the heart of man imagined what God has in store for those who love him. I have two so what's. Number one, would you expect the God of delights and surprises to do anything less than your wildest imagination? God is a good father, and he loves to give good gifts to his children. My oldest daughter uh, walked in on me uh, preparing this sermon and she said, dad, what are you talking about on Sunday? And I said, I'm talking about resurrected bodies, the bodies you're going to get in heaven. And then she peeked over, she glances at my notes and she looks at me and she says, are we going to be human? And I was like, most definitely. Can I tell the church that you asked that? Because that's hilarious. But it almost feels like, she said yes, it almost feels like when you start to get your head around this, that this is like some alien life form. No, it's the seed to General Sherman. I want you to, I want you to think about the Christian who irritates you the most. You got him? Some of you are like, I don't have one. Okay, sure. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, you're it for some people. <laughs> they might be loud, lazy, annoying, arrogant, judgmental, indulgent. They might have harmed you. Just put them in your brain for a moment. I'll be honest. I have somebody. I got somebody here. I'm trying to be holy right now. On the new earth, they are going to be glorious, imperishable, without flaw, emanating probably the glory of God. And all issues between you and them will be resolved. And if you were to go up to them and say, can we talk about that? They would go, I was really annoying. Full ownership, no excuses. Wouldn't that be great to have the person who maybe bothers you the most take full ownership of it? Yeah, everyone's like, yeah. Somebody said, yeah, thank you. Yes, <laughs> amen. And then, and then you'll look at them and say, I was really judgmental, condescending, and arrogant, and I forgot that I'm comparing myself to Jesus and not to you. Would you forgive me as well? 
It's going to cut both ways. Full restoration. No grudges. None of this. And it's going to be one delight after another. Because this is what good dads love to do. They love to bless their children with good gifts. And I'm telling you, there is something waiting for every one of us beyond our wildest imaginations. And this side of heaven, the same God who has prepared all of these delights for us has filled this world with delight. I love life. I hate pain. I hate sadness. I hate arguing. I hate the media. There's a lot of things I don't like. I love this world. And it's really easy for me to love this world so much that I forget the world to come. So here's my, here's my challenge to you today. Delight in the food you're going to eat, in the relationships you have, in the family who's with you, the friends you get to rub shoulders with. And may there just be a reverberating sound in the back of your head that says, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you for this person. Thank you for this food. Thank you for this gift. Thank you for these clothes. May you today be filled and give God glory, praise, thankfulness for every amazing gift you have. And there's going to be frustration. There's going to be irritation. You may even run into that Christian who bothers you the most. God, thank you that one day you are going to restore this relationship and they will emanate the glory of God. Thank you for that. Kids, when you go home, just for a day, honor your parents. I mean, keep doing it. But like, maybe today is a day where you're like, wow, my parents might bother me, but they love me and they're doing the best they can. Today is going to be a day where maybe I call somebody and just say, I want to I I just say, I'm glad God put you in my life. Maybe today can be a day where you just enjoy all these good gifts, but keep in the back of your brain, thank you, God, and let, you, let your heart be reminded that every one of these is but a foretaste. They are good, they're wonderful, but it's not the best. The best really is yet to come. For a second, so what? And the last one, I want to take you in maybe a more theological direction. I mean, everything we've said is theological, but I want to get really pointedly theological for a moment. You cannot be a Christian and deny Jesus's resurrection or your bodily resurrection. Now, people use the word Christian in all different kinds of ways. Jehovah's Witnesses call themselves Christians, and Mormons call themselves Christians, and a whole bunch of people call themselves Christians. And, but, but this word actually has a meaning to it, uh, even though we live in a world that anybody can do anything that they want with vocabulary. Before God, which is what matters the most, if you're going to be in the family of God, you actually are required biblically to believe in this. And so maybe here, I want to ask you just a couple questions. Number, number one, do you believe that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead? And do you believe that one day you will be raised as well? And, and if you believe that, I want to ask you a second question. Have you personally trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins? If you believe in the resurrection, believing in Jesus is easy. By the way, if you already believe that God could do that, then the rest of it just falls into place. But this is the question for you. Have you personally trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins? And I want to encourage you today, may today, if you've never done it, be the first time that you place your faith in the resurrected Jesus. And here are just the tip of the iceberg of the blessings that God has in store for you. You will be today, right now, fully, fully forgiven 
And everything that you have ever done, Jesus will call cleansed and forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. It will be done. You can have now full access to God. You'll have the spirit of God within you. And everything we just talked about, these new bodies, that is 100% guaranteed yours, despite how much you struggle in this life till the moment you die. And I want to offer you all of this, not by the accrual of good works, because you'll never get it that way, but through trusting in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Do you believe that you're a sinner? Do you believe that Jesus, God, died on the cross for your sins and was raised again from the dead? Are you done trying to earn your way to salvation as if you could? Today, are you ready to personally trust in Jesus? And if so, I want to invite you to do something very simple. I am not going to have you raise your hand. I'm not going to have you come up front. We're going to celebrate communion. Communion is this opportunity where we remember what Jesus did. And communion actually is a proclamation. So if you're ready, when we, when we partake together, I want to encourage you to partake of communion and let this be your personal declaration of your faith in Jesus Christ for the first time. And if that's a decision that you want to make today, I want to encourage you, tell the person you came with, um, come find somebody up front or myself. Uh, we would love to celebrate with you. We'd love to help you take a next step. We'd love to pray with you, answer the questions you have. Maybe you're not ready, but you have questions. Same thing applies. Would you just come find us? We would love to help you answer some of those major questions that you have that might stand be between you and trusting in Christ. If you have believed in Jesus, when we partake of these elements, I want you to just be filled with gratitude and hope because all of that in the future is possible because of what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. If you're with us and you're from a different church, you're visiting, if you have personally trusted in Jesus, I want to invite you, join us in communion. Uh, the elements are to my right at that beam, to my left at that beam, in the middle of the double doors in the back. We're going to have a time of silence. When that's done, we're going to worship together. Uh, during the song, you're welcome to go up and get the elements. If you'd hold on to them till after the song, I'm going to come up, and then we are going to take all of them together as a symbol of our unity that is in Christ. Let's have a time of silence and talk to God. <laughs>